Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. So, you know, as we study through the book of Acts and just over the last weeks, as you contemplate uh, what we're reading about the Holy Spirit being poured out and the church being birthed, over the last weeks, we've met some interesting people, but they're just ordinary guys so far. We've met a guy by the name of Barnabas and we go, man, what a cool story he had. You know, it's like Barnabas, your story mattered and you leveraged it for the glory of God. You're the son of encouragement. Oh, look at you. And then we met a guy by the name of Gamaliel who had mentored uh, uh, Paul and uh, Gamaliel shows up with incredible wisdom and depth. And it's like, oh, that's a good dude. And then last week we, uh, we talked about a guy by the name of Stephen. And if you missed last week, Nick did a brilliant job breaking down uh, Acts chapter 7, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. But Stephen uh, was considered... you know, just to, 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 to be a, uh, a guy that is sold out for Jesus and it ended up costing him. Over the next weeks, we're going to meet some more people and they're just common people, just ordinary people. Uh, we'll get to know Lois and Eunice, who are Timothy's uh, mom and grandmother. It's like, they got a cool story. Uh, in a few weeks, we'll look at the life of Cornelius a little bit, how God uh, would use him and speak to him and bring healing to that family. We're going to meet a guy by the name of John Mark and we're going to meet Silas and every Every week we're meeting these different people whose story matters, whose lives were impacted and changed by the gospel, and that, that's me and you, just common, ordinary people that God wants to use. In Acts chapter 8, we're introduced to, really in detail, a guy by the name of Philip. I mean, his name got thrown out there in Acts chapter 6 when they were selecting the seven as deacons, but now we're going to get to know more about this guy and more about his, uh, his passion. So looking back, last week, we like to do this, okay, where are we at? What has just happened? Uh, looking back last week, Stephen was killed. He was martyred for his faith uh, because he was a part of the Jesus movement. And he's the first martyr, if you will, Christ follower martyr in history. Saul, Saul was a popular name back then. But when we look at Saul, named after the first king of Israel in first, king, or first Samuel chapter 8, uh, Saul was a very popular name. Saul is the ringleader. He's a madman all behind this conspiracy stuff. He's attacking Christians, persecuting Christians, asking permission. Can I throw them in jail? Men and women, anybody that identifies with that Jesus dude. And this guy's about to be rocked next week as we study. And he's going to be rocked as he encounters Christ on the Damascus road and Saul the antagonist is going to become Paul the apologist and but 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 even here he's just a madman and if you look at what's happening with the church here in the book of Acts as we get into chapter 8 the followers of Jesus are being persecuted that they're being attacked and, and the religious sect, even the freed slaves as we looked at last week, but the Sanhedrin and all these groups that are coming against this Jesus movement. And as a result of being persecuted, they're being scattered. They're being dispersed throughout the region, if you will. And if you pick up in chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, it says the believers, I want you to hear this, the believers, those that were 
following Jesus and following the teachings of Christ as Yeshua, Messiah, the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. They didn't hide. They didn't rally together in some small area and and try to find cover. As they are being persecuted, as they're being attacked, as they're being scattered abroad, the one thing they continued to do was to tell others about Jesus. They preached the gospel wherever they went. Philip, here he is. He went to the city of Samaria and he told the people there about the Messiah. Interesting. The boldness, the boldness that was manifested through the life of Stephen has become the norm of every follower of Jesus. Oftentimes when we study and contemplate scripture, we will look at a person like Stephen and we go, oh, he was like this uh, super normal style Christian or we will look at the life of Paul or we will look at, and we, we put these guys on a, on a plane that we could never reach, a, a pedestal. We, we put them up there and we go, I, I can never do that. They were living the normal Christian life, the same Christian life that God has called you and I to live. These are common, ordinary people who have encountered Christ filled with the Holy Spirit, and all they're doing is just sharing Jesus wherever they go. You know what we call that in Christian circles? We call that evangelism. And if you want a working definition, a simple definition of evangelism, it's when an ordinary Christ follower shares the hope of Jesus with their community. That's evangelism. You don't have to go to college. You don't have to take classes. Again, evangelism is when a common, just ordinary follower of Jesus shares the hope of the gospel wherever they go. Now, here's an interesting thought. When the gospel leaves Jerusalem, It is carried out by common people, not by the apostles. When it leaves Jerusalem, remember Acts chapter 1 verse 8, when the Holy Spirit is about to fall and Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where it started. Peter's preaching at Pentecost. You will be my witnesses in Judea, that region. And then he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Samaria. It left Jerusalem with common people, not clergy, not apostles. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will grow. When every one of us become participants in sharing Christ wherever we're at. It's not going to grow because you've got one or two anointed preachers. It grows through all of us. It grows when Chad and Elaine decide to live it out. When Pat and Glenn decide to live it out. When Cindy decides to live it out. When Tara decides to live it out, the church will grow. It's each one reaching one. Each one engaged with somebody that is disconnected and hopeless. That's how the church grows. And I can tell you this, God desires to use you wherever you're planted today. 
God desires to use you as life happens. You don't have to be in a special place. You don't have to go on some uh, mission trip where you're on a, the other side of the world. God desires to use you where you're at today, here in Loganville, or wherever you live, back in Texas, or down in Augusta, or wherever you're at, God desires to use you. And most of the time, when you read uh, these cool stories of, of testimonies, even today, it's just people living normal life in their city, in their neighborhood, in their community, just while they're at work, doing their jobs, or, or with their interests and hobbies. It's, it's as we're doing life, even Matthew 28 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, but it, but it literally translates as you're going about life, as you're just living life every day, just be his witness. Now, based on Acts 8, the disciples, they have proclaimed this good news of the gospel in, uh, in Jerusalem. Many people have come to faith probably up over 5,000 by now. The church, the believers, the followers are being persecuted and scattered. And there was a powerful anointing and outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a place called Samaria. People in Samaria are getting saved. Now follow this. The Samaritans were called dogs, half-breeds, outcasts, dirty, less than but the ground at the foot of the cross is level for all people and when Jesus dies on the cross the veil is torn and now all people no matter what your color no matter what your social social status is no matter what your financial portfolio may look like we all come to the father the same way we come through the cross and the power of the gospel is being spread in Samaria. Again, the church is being scattered. Even when James writes his little epistle, he writes and he says to those who are being scattered and persecuted. You see, it was part of God's plan for us to scatter. It was part of God's plan that he would allow us to become recipients and be in a variety of locations to take the gospel. You are my witnesses. And so Philip has left. He's being persecuted and he finds himself in Samaria. And the hand of God was on this dude. And there's amazing fruit in ministry taking place. And while all this cool fruit, uh, fruitful ministry has taken place, the Lord speaks to him and says, hey, it's time to go. Pick it up. Verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down that desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza, that desert road. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, uh, Candace the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and now he was returning Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? He then invited Philip into the carriage to sit with him. 
the passage of scripture he was reading was this, and it's Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep as a lamb before the shears and the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before his shears, he opened not his mouth. He was humiliated and he received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or was he talking about someone else? So Philip told him the good news of Jesus. Now I want you to think about something. God had allowed Philip to be in a place called Samaria with the outcast and with those that were considered less than. While he's there, the hand of God is on him strong. There's incredible ministry taking place. It's like, man, why would I ever leave here? And then the Lord said, I want you to go to no man's land. I want you to go to the desert. I want you to head toward Gaza. God had a plan for him. God had a divine appointment set up for him, but it required, it required, it required Philip taking a step of faith. Can I tell you, and I will build more on this point, anytime God wants to use us, it requires us taking a step of faith. Oftentimes we have to leave where we're comfortable. For God to stretch us and to lead us with divine assignments. The Ethiopian, he was a high-level official, and he had been in Jerusalem. And I believe he had been searching for truth. I believe he was lost. He was disoriented. He was searching for answers. And God is about to use Philip to introduce this dude to Jesus. So when you read Acts chapter 8, and here's where I'm going to build the message. What can we learn From the life of Philip. If we can learn anything from the life of Philip, what can we learn? Some 10 plus years ago, I received an email and the guy said, Tim, my name is Dan Good. I am a, a writer. I also work with ABC News and I am writing a book, a biography about Ken Caminetti. Ken Caminetti and I were teammates. We played together in 1985, 86, and 87. He says, I'm writing a a book about Ken Caminetti. Ken OD'd at the age of 41. He had left his wife. He had three beautiful daughters. Ken was a superstar. Ken was the National League MVP. Ken was a three-time All-Star in baseball. Ken had risen to the pinnacle of what those in the baseball world would call success. This book just came out just a few weeks ago, and it shares so much about Ken's battle of of, of oppression and violation and abuse and addiction. It's it's a necessary read. I, I would encourage any of you that have battled addiction or have family members, maybe we can glean some things from Ken's life. But as I did this interview with Dan Good, we got ready to wrap up the interview and he said, Tim, I have one more question for you. I said, okay. He said, Tim, if we can learn anything from the life of Ken Caminetti, what, what do you think we learn? And I'm like, that is a great question. That is a great question. 
Because what I said to him was, Dan, I think what we learn from Ken is as a society, we continue to applaud the wrong things. We applaud athleticism, we applaud abilities, we applaud stardom, and we don't applaud character and integrity and humility of life. As a society, if you look around us, we continue to applaud the wrong thing. If we can learn anything from his life, what do we learn? If we can learn anything from Mama Kay's life, what do we learn? If we can learn anything from Barb Cash's life, what do we learn? If we can learn anything, fill in the blank. Michael Davis, what do we learn? What do we learn from Ian's life, Brandy's life? If someone was writing bullet points about you, what would they write? If we can learn anything from Dustin Wilbank's life, what, what do we learn? What do we learn from Dallas? What, what, what do we learn from Spencer? What do we learn? What do we learn from Philip? The first observation I would make for you that I think we can learn from Philip's life is this. God's leading is not always logical to us. God's leading is not always logical. A lot of times, it makes no sense in the natural to us what God is asking us to do. Even when we read scripture, Jesus says, hey, you've got to die if you're going to live. And it's, it's better to, to give everything away than it is to get. And it's better to turn the other cheek. And if we would read those kind of statements and for a natural person who is yet redeemed, who is not following the Lord, and even for the saved at times, we read those statements and we go, it's not even logical. That, that makes no sense. But God had something for Philip in the desert, but it required faith. You're going to have to step out of what I'm doing here, and you're going to have to step out of what I know, and I will tell you that faith has feet. Faith just doesn't speak words. Faith is an action word. Faith has feet, and faith requires movement. You're going to have to move. You're going to have to step out of the known to the unknown. You're going to have to step away from the familiar at times. And, and you're going to have to leave it. Trust me. Trust me, God says. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me and trust me, and I will make your path straight. All I knew was Georgia for the most part, I had trouble playing ball, but all I knew was Georgia. I'd come to faith in Christ, and I came back to Georgia. And I'm like, oh, I, I know this area. And then I felt like the Lord, after going on a mission trip in 1988, I felt like the Lord was saying, I want you to move to Indiana. I'm like, I don't want to move to Indiana. I don't want to move to Indiana in January. It's cold. It's, it's brutal. I don't want to go up there. That's not where I would lead me, God, on an assignment, but God goes, I want you to, to go there. So I packed up my truck and I moved to Indiana in January of 1989 and it took a step of faith and I'm like, okay, I have no clue what awaits me here. 
and God began to do a deeper work in my life. God began to bring about healing in my life. Larry Crabb was doing his counseling program at Grace College and Seminary, and I happened to be a student there, and I would listen to Crabb, and I'm like, I've never heard any of this, and I want you to go there, and it's not what I want to do through you, but it's what I want to do in you. I'm like, okay, so we get there and we start to settle in. I'm like, oh, there's some pretty cool ministry happening here and there's some fruit in what, what's happening here. And I meet Barb, long distance relationship and we get married and we, we, we start to live there and we had Rachel there and it's like, I want you to move back to Georgia. Okay, I like Georgia. I would really like to move back to Georgia, but you're not going to Noonan. A prophet is only without honor in his own hometown around his own people. You're not going there. Where am I going to go? You're going to be about 80 miles away. But I want you to start doing this sports ministry. And I was doing a sports ministry. And I was loving doing the sports ministry and God's favor in hand. And we saw God do a lot of cool things. And all of a sudden I get to 2010 and God goes, I want you to pastor locally. Where? I'll show you Where? So all of a sudden, Steve Trailer calls me and I start talking with Steve and they're like, hey, we want to talk to you about, back then it was the Oasis, we need a pastor. And I came over here and sat down with Steve and some of the guys that made up the board and I'm like, so tell me about your church. Well, we're $70,000 behind on our mortgage. We got over $6 million in debt. We're sheep without a shepherd. Would you pray about coming here? And I felt like the Lord said, take it. If I call you, I'll cover you. There's been so many things in our life where God is saying, hey, you're going to have to step out in faith here. You're going to leave that ministry you're doing. And when you get there, you're going to take a $25,000, $30,000 a year pay cut, but just do it. But I got these five kids and I got one of them there in diapers and two of them starting to wear bras and different things and that doesn't cost a lot of money and it's going to require money to raise that crew. Lord, I got you covered. Remember I sat down with Nick Slade and I was talking to Nick and I said, hey brother, I want to talk to you about being a worship pastor with me, brother. I don't know you. You don't know me. I know you were born and raised in the Marietta Kennesaw area, and I know you've been in this one church over here for a long time, but I'm looking for a worship pastor. I'm looking for a pastor that can lead worship the pastors. Would you pray about it? He goes, I'll pray about it. We met with he and Lisa. They prayed about it. Nate goes, I feel like the Lord is saying, go to Gaza. I'm like, well, come on. I remember one of the first days I walked in and the sound system we had at the time, it was hanging on by a thread and I took Nick back there and I said, Nick, I don't know anything about music or sound. I I like listening to music. I have no clue how anything works. But from what I've been told, you need to make this shovet run like a Corvette. Can you do it? (laughs) He goes, I'm in. I remember I talked with Rick Blomquist on the phone. He and Kara were living down in Lakeland, Florida. We were talking through things and Rick and I talked for about an hour on the phone one evening. I really enjoyed the conversation with Rick. A few days later, he goes, I'm not trying to be presumptuous here, but I'd like to come up there and visit. Really? So Rick and Kara drive all the way up, only Ricky was in their family at the time. And they come up and they spend the night and we hang out and we sit there and talk and they come over to my house and I'm like, hey, 
I feel like the Lord wants you to be on staff with us. What do you think? He goes, I do. And you guys leave Lakeland and come up here to what might have felt like Gaza. Do you hear me? Oftentimes, God will call us to leave what we know for the purpose of healing. Think about my one buddy who's been stuck in this culture around here for a while. And he continued to cycle through pain and addiction. It's like, hey, you're going to have to, if I'm going to bring about healing in your life, you're going you're to have to move. And over the last year plus being in Augusta, God has brought about incredible healing in this dude's life. I saw him a few weeks ago and I could not believe how strong and healthy he looked. But a lot of times we have to leave what we know and we have to leave where we're stuck and we have to leave what we're familiar with and we have to leave where we've been. And sometimes leaving is so hard, but it's so necessary. And, and oftentimes God has to get us in different soil away from the weeds to grow us and mature us. Where is God asking you to go today? Maybe what person or what place or where are you supposed to be ministering right now? Where are you supposed to be serving right now? Where are you supposed to be loving on people right now? What, what are you supposed to be doing? Because it is so easy for any of us to get into a place where we feel like there's fruitful ministry here. I know how the system works. I've developed enough flesh patterns to make it work. I'm just going to stay here and it's comfortable. Sometimes we have to go to the desert. Sometimes we have to go to the unknown. And Philip, one of the things we learned from this dude is he allowed God to direct his life, but God's assignment probably wasn't that logical. It probably sounded strange. Gaza, desert. Second observation I would make would be this. If we can learn anything from Philip's life, what do you think we learn? I would say, obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Philip was told to go to the desert. God didn't tell him what. God didn't tell him why. God didn't tell him anything other than, I want you to go to the desert. We laugh at times and we cut up at times and based on your generation, I'll use three different scenarios here, but I've had people say to me, God's going to have to fax me before I do that. <laughs> He's going to have to send me a fax telling me when, where, why, how, maybe your generation is, no, God's going to have to email me. God's going to have to text me. And a lot of times it's like, We believe that God owes it to us to give us all the fine print details on something he's asking us to do. And he said, hey, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up and leave where you are, and I want you to go. You want me to go? Go. And for some of you sitting there, you're like, I haven't stepped out on faith and obeyed the Lord because I didn't feel like I had enough clarity or definition But I knew God was prompting me to do something. And when he is obeying the Lord, just by doing what God tells him to do, he meets a man. He didn't know what God's assignment was going to be. 
this Ethiopian guy had gone to Jerusalem searching for answers. There's people around you today that are searching for answers. And I believe that guy had gone there to worship, to experience God. But undoubtedly, he came back and he was empty. He had not found what he was looking for. See, he's sitting there reading from Isaiah. And as he read, his heart longed to know the God that this text was talking about. Can I tell you, there's people like the Ethiopian around you today. I thought about this in my own journey. Lost people will oftentimes read scripture searching for hope. In a dark, damaged, disturbed, distorted world, people will oftentimes pick up the Bible looking for answers. Well, that's a good place to look, but they don't even know where to look and they don't know how to interpret what they're looking for. I remember as a lost dude picking up the Bible at times and I'm like, man, I need some answers. I need some help. Did any of you ever do that? It's like, I'm, 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 I'm wayward. I'm way jacked up. And I'm like, man, and still I would spin in my sin. I remember when I was a student at Troy University, I'm 20 years old and I'm out there. I'm out there. I'm living in the world. I'm saturating my flesh with the desires of whatever the world had to throw at me. I had a buddy by the name of Danny. I grew up with Danny. Danny lived right down the street from me. And Danny had battled different things in his life. And Danny had found himself at Tennessee Temple University. Man, I'm going to a Christian college and I'm going to get my life together. And I'll never forget that Danny sent me a Bible, an NIV Bible while I was at Troy University. Now, if you know anything about Tennessee Temple or Bob Jones, they would have kicked Danny out if it wasn't King James Version, but he sent me a copy of the scripture. And I remember getting that Bible and Danny had written a personal note in there. And I'll never forget that Bible. It said, Tim, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And he wrote a couple of scripture and I read those scripture. And I remember going, man, he sent me a Bible. And the sad thing is 12 years ago on New Year's Eve, Barb knows Danny OD'd with alcohol and drugs and his sister called me weeping and she said Tim would you do Danny's funeral Danny was searching I was searching I went to the Bible he was trying to find a place it's like Danny God loves you there's a lot of people in your world right now family members and friends that are alone that are afraid and, and, and for some, they've picked up the Bible and they're trying to, to find answers. And here would be my question to you. Are you ready to help someone understand what they're reading? Where are the chariots right now in your life? Who are the people in those chariots right now in your life that are battling depression or addiction or whatever kind of pain? And you see them there. Are you willing to go and walk with the chariot? Are you willing to go and walk with that friend? The Holy Spirit said, now go and walk beside him. I think that's one of the big assignments that we live here. Even Dwayne's testimony is like we're trying to raise up disciples and Jesus followers who are willing to walk alongside those 
who are disturbed and defeated and searching. And if you notice the text, it doesn't say that Philip stood there, prayed about it, contemplated it. It says Philip ran. He knew the Holy Spirit was leading him. He ran. He sprinted. And I've come to realize that obeying the Holy Spirit may bring clarity to some in your world today that are living in confusion. There's people there that you go, dude's hurting. Barb and I were up in Greenville, South Carolina, did a wedding last weekend in Traveler's Rest. And we had a, a great time of just being there. And Daniel and Madison, they moved to this area and uh, he, he's been coming to church here for the last couple of years and she was finishing up her master's at Clemson and all of their families up in that area. But anyway, they're gonna stay here in this area. They're gonna be a part of our fellowship, but they were getting married. And we had such a great time just hanging out with people and talking with people. But one of the guys that was in the wedding party, kind of a Chris Stapleton lookalike guy, he's standing over there and Barb and I saw him. And I said, Barb, I feel like the Lord is leading me to go talk to this dude. And we go over and we start to talk to this young man. He's 27 years old. And I said, so what's your story? You made the statement at the toast when we were having food that you're used to being on a stage, but you're not used to being able to, or even having to speak in a sensitive moment with things like this. I assume you just sing and play or whatever you do. And he goes, yeah, I do. And his kind of music was kind of in that Stapleton Montgomery Gentry kind of a we drink beer and raise hell kind of vibe. And I remember just standing there going, so where you at in life? And he goes, well, I decided if music didn't take off by the time I was 27, I was just going to walk away from it. And so, yeah, I turned 27 in February and I'm a plumber. And I said, but what's the real story inside of you? What's happening with you? He goes, man, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. And he said, Tim, I drifted out there. And I have drifted for years. And even when I was living in Charleston, man, I tried to, I really did try to, to finish myself. I, I OD'd. I've drank so much. I've done so many drugs. And I don't know. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. And I looked at this young man and I said, hey, can I share something with you? And he said, sure. I said, what is the truest thing about you? He looks at me. I said, no, what is the truest thing about you? And he said, I don't know. I said, the truest thing about you is you're loved by God. The truest thing about you is not that you can play a guitar and sing a song. The truest thing about you is you're loved by God. And we've all got wounds and we've all been bruised and we've all been hurt. But the truest thing about any of us is that God loves you. He created you in his image, redeemed you with his blood, desires to fill you with his Holy Spirit. God is for you. And no matter where you're at today, no matter what's going on in your life, I can promise you, maybe you've been disoriented and you've been searching the God that created you really loves you. Here's a third observation. So sometimes God's logic makes no sense to us and we've got to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The third thing I would tell you is this, know the word of God, know the scripture. 
The man told Philip he was reading Isaiah 53. And if you know anything about Isaiah 53, it may be the strongest prophetic passage in the Bible. Isaiah 53 is saturated with all this truth about the soon coming suffering servant, Jesus, Messiah. And you read the text and it says, and beginning with the scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. What are you reading? Isaiah 53. And beginning with the scripture, he pointed him to the good news of the gospel. I believe that each and every one of us must know the Word of God. We must be able to handle the Word of God with accuracy. We must study to show ourselves approved. Every person in this room, we need to be equipped. We don't know what person we're gonna talk to. We don't know what they're gonna bring up. Joyce, we have no clue where they're at in life, but if we're equipped, we will be ready to share the hope of the gospel. This guy is reading Isaiah 53. And here's the interesting thing. I believe this guy who was searching for God, who had gone to Jerusalem to worship, I believe he was very familiar with Isaiah, but he didn't understand. He didn't know the Messiah had come. He didn't know that salvation was for him. And I believe that he had even read further in Isaiah in chapter 56. Listen to what it says, verses three through five. Isaiah 56, three through five, Dallas, listen to this. It says, let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. You go, what does that mean? A eunuch is a man who has been castrated for the purpose of being in a trusted role, if you will, in a royal household. Castrated. Praise God. He didn't call me to that assignment. But here is an interesting thought. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. Listen to what he says. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house a monument and a name better than even to my sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. That would have encouraged this guy. God cares about people like me. God speaks to people like me. Hallelujah. There's something in the scripture that applies to me. I want to know this Isaiah 53 piece. Who is this talking about? But I'm sure he's got there going, well, man, praise God he hadn't forgot about people like me. And when you pick up the Bible and you start to read it, you'll start to identify with people in the scripture and you go, that's me. That is me. Wayward, lost, confused, disoriented, jacked up. Oh, if the gospel is for that person, it's for me. God loves addicts. God loves the divorce. You read, that woman's been married five times, shacked up. Oh, he gave her living water. That's me. God loves people like me. That would have been so encouraging. This was a guy of high character. This guy was committed to what he knew. This guy was committed. I want to know God, but who is he? And let me tell you what Philip helped him with, observation four. 
Philip helped him big time with this. He introduced him to Jesus. And if I could encourage you with anything, just introduce people to Jesus. Introduce people to Jesus. He told him the good news about Jesus. He didn't point him to a denomination. He didn't point him to a political affiliation. He didn't point him to anything other than Jesus. And we live in a culture where people love to sit around and and debate and argue questions, even from a theological standpoint. And we want to debate doctrines and all this kind of stuff. And there's people standing there. And no matter what your view is of predestination and eschatology and all these other terms, there's people there that need to be introduced to Jesus. That's not going to help solve their dilemma. That's not going to help save them. They need to meet Jesus. And Philip had pointed this man to Jesus. And this guy, I believe, had said yes to Jesus. Verse 36, as they rode along, they came to some water. This is a desert. There's no water anywhere. They come to a place where there's some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? I know Jesus loves me. I know God is for me. Why can't I be baptized? They stopped. They went down into the water. No sprinkling job I'm talking about like we did this morning. And Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch never saw him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Just, you read it and you go, bam, baptized him. Why are you rejoicing? Because I met Jesus. I experienced Jesus. That dude helped me get to what I needed. He helped get me to Jesus. He just introduced him to Jesus. Snatched him away. And that guy now has the Holy Spirit living inside of him, this Ethiopian eunuch. And guess what? He is now a redeemed child of God. It's like, you just pointed him to Jesus. God told me to go to Gaza. God told me to, that's what he told me to just, just share Jesus with him. Listen to this. Meanwhile, I love that. Meanwhile, Philip found himself further north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he reached Caesarea. What are you doing? I'm sharing Jesus. The Spirit's leading me up to Caesarea. We've been there. But right now, this is where I'm at. And as I go along, I'm just going to tell people about Jesus. Every town that I go in, I'm just going to share Jesus. Baptized, taken away, preaching Jesus. You good? God said, hey, you did what I asked you to do. He's good. He's met me. I've filled him with me. Now let's go. I'm like, man, I'm, 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 what did we learn about Philip? Philip was a fascinating brother. He's led by the Spirit to Samaria because of persecution. What is the Holy Spirit doing in you? Where's the Holy Spirit leading you? He was led to Gaza, the desert. And what did he do? He just obeyed. Then he's led 
He's led to the Ethiopian's chariot and says, go over and talk to that dude. Just walk with him. I'll walk with him. Then the scripture says he preached the gospel in every city. You've got to understand this when you, you study. None of this was planned by Philip. None of this was planned. Hunter, not one thing of his life was planned by him. He didn't plan it. If you go back to Acts chapter 6, when the widows were being neglected, the church said, we need to appoint seven guys that will serve tables. Hey, uh, hey, Philip, we need somebody just to serve tables and help set up and help clean up and just, I'm in, count me in. You, 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 you willing to serve? Yes, I'm willing to serve. He went for it. That first step that he took opened the door to all this other stuff we read about. And it's that way with you. It's that first step. Hey, come on. Let's go. Come on, dude. Go share your testimony at this men's group. Time is a break, dude. 575 on the SAT, man. I'm struggling. I can't do it. Go. And I go. I'm like, ah, that was brutal. Then the phone rings. Hey, brother, we want you to come share your testimony at our group. Go. My first year in Pro Bowl, I'm, I'm there and they're like, Cash, let's do a Bible study. I'm like, yeah, let's do one. Hey, you lead it for us. And I'm like, Dude, you, you, you read it all the time. Let's do a study. And I'm like, okay. Hey, man, we want you to preach a full message. Take the whole service. And I'm like, me? Just do it. I want you to go there and talk to that dude. Just do it. I want you to go over there and pray with that person. Just do it. Philip went for it. Don't, don't, don't miss it. Philip went for it. He was a normal dude that God did supernatural things through. Andy, God uses normal, redeemed, ordinary dudes who say, yes, I'll follow you. Yes, I will serve you. Yes. You can count on me. Ponder these questions. I wonder what might happen if you said yes to the Lord today. I wonder what might happen if you said yes. I'm repenting, I'm confessing, I'm surrendering. I wonder what might happen with you. I wonder what might happen if you said, I'm surrendering. I remember when I prayed and asked Christ to save me, and I'm like, you got to save me. I was working at this health club place back in Noonan, Monday nights. I was working in the pub. I was in there selling beer, hanging out. And I remember the first Monday night that I went back in there for a Monday night football game. And I'm like, alcohol has screwed me 
up. And here I am selling what I need to be avoiding. And I told the dude after that night, like, I, I can't be doing this. I can't. I'm done. And I remember the Lord said, you going to surrender that to me? You can have it. What about, what about, your, what about your language? What about your attitude? What about your stinking eyes, dude? You lust like a champ. Stop it. Memorize Job. Made a covenant with my eyes that I will not sin against you. I'm like, I need that verse, God. I need to make a covenant. I wonder what would happen with you if you risk it all for the Lord. I wonder what would happen if you had the courage to share your faith with a family member or coworker. I wonder what would happen if you invited a, a loved one to come to church with you. I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen if we truly were salt and light in our community. I just wonder what would happen. 37 years ago, I battled that question. I wonder what will happen if I really do surrender everything to the Lord. I wonder if God will take me out of the game. I wonder if God will send me to the mission field. I wonder if my story will end up being more like Stephen than Philip. I wonder what will happen. So if you call me to be a martyr as Jim Elliott and others, Nate Saint and others over the years, are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to surrender to me? I mean, we want the Philip story and we don't want the Stephen story. We, we want to be used by God, but we don't want that happening to us. We don't want to be martyred for our faith. I mean, most of the courageous ones in this room is like, now I lay me down to sleep. And how'd that brother die, man? He just fell asleep. Man, what a cool way to go. Praise God. We don't want persecution. We don't want a type. We don't want turmoil. But I just posed the question to you today to consider, I wonder what would happen if Luke said, all right, all in. Caitlin, I'm all in. Rachel, I'm all in. Nick, Amanda, I'm all in. I just wonder, wonder what would happen. I invite you to find out. Wonder what would happen if I left that church and I can't stay there anymore. I wonder what would happen if I started serving in there with those kids. Cindy, I wonder what would happen if I saw all these kids start to come to faith and had a chance to be a part of their baptism. I wonder what would happen. And I think a lot of people head down the path toward their death and they never found out. Wonder what would happen, Rach. Wonder what would happen. If I repented, if I started practicing humility, wonder what would happen. If I confronted my addiction, I wonder what would happen. Today I invite you, risk it all 
surrender it all, step into the unknown, leave whatever feels safe and familiar. The Holy Spirit is prompting some of your hearts in this room to say it's time to, to ante up. It's time to up the game.